We're going to be taking our Bibles this morning and making our way to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter number 4, and uh, we're going to be looking at verse 11 through verse number 16. We've been coming through this book uh, expositionally, verse by verse, and uh, breaking up and looking up what uh, what uh, the Lord has given to us in this great book. And um, this text before us is one that I believe is so crucial for the local church today, and I pray that it would be a great benefit to us, an encouragement to us, a challenge to us. Uh, we ought always to be challenged by the Word of God when we come to worship. Uh, if we're not challenged and convicted, uh, have we heard much? Uh, that's the purpose of it, and I pray that it would do that for us as it does done to me in my own study of it. And uh, so the title of the message this morning is Growing Up in Christ, Growing Up in Christ. And so let's begin here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, down through verse number 16 uh, as our text today. Notice that Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This text has many, many aspects that uh, I want to dive into, and I've given you notes there so you can have access to that as well. But as we consider this idea or this principle of growing up in Christ... This really is a key for us as Christians and as a church. What is it that a Christian should look for in a local church? What qualities should a church uh, have that we would say is most important? Should one look for a church that is maybe just closest to their house? One that has great building facilities? One that keeps them entertained? One that maybe stirs us emotionally? Maybe one we could blend into without much notice or has every program possible for children. What is it that we should look for in a church? Well, believe it or not, these things I just mentioned are often the top marks for those who are searching for a church today. But did you know that these are not the top marks and some of them are the wrong marks to look for uh, in a local church? Now, some are good, but some are not so good. Even those that aren't bad are not the main marks to look for in the church. What is the main thing to look for when it comes to worshiping the Lord in the church? It is and must firstly be the spiritual health of that church. The spiritual health of that church. And the spiritual health of a church will be evidenced by the ministry of the Word of God communicated and received by the people of God. Friend, this kind of church that centers around the Scriptures is imperative to the Christian. It is imperative for us. Why is that? 
Because the church is meant to be the nucleus for cultivating your own spiritual life and growth. If you're in a church and you're not growing and you can't, you're not being fed the Word of God, there is something wrong within that, within that status. So how do we know this is so important to a church? Well, notice, firstly, because Scripture reveals that this is what the church is to be and do. A healthy church is a church that cultivates Christian growth and spiritual maturity in the people of God through the Word of God. Now, this is what Paul is stressing in our text, and I hope that we can see this together. Because every Christian is on a journey of spiritual growth. You as a Christian are to be growing in your Christian life. And one of the great things of scriptures, we see many metaphors and pictures and imageries that, that, that are given to us in a physical and earthly sense that teach us spiritual lessons. And one of those is that the Christian life is likened to growing as we do in our physical life. Now, when it comes to our physical life, we begin our life in, with infancy, and we grow on into young children, and then on to, into our teenage years, on into adulthood, and then on into our elderly years. And the same growth principle is true in a spiritual sense. But there is somewhat of a difference. Physically, you cannot help but grow as long as you eat, and uh, maybe unless you have some kind of a medical condition that hinders you in that fashion. But spiritually also, you may also cease to grow up as you ought to in your spiritual life from a lack of nourishment from the Word of God. David said to me the other day when I was putting him to bed, I think it was Friday night, and he said, Dad, you're going to get old. And I said, yes, son, I am going to get old. And so are you if, if, if uh, someday, if the Lord wills. And he confidently said to me, no, I'm not getting old. I'm staying this way. <laughs> And uh, don't we all wish we could just stay that way, right? The good old days of being a child and not having to pay bills and work and uh, all, the, all the things. We wish we might could have stayed that age for some time. But here's the reality, Christian. I want us to understand this because I believe this is a major issue in the church today. You can be saved for many years but yet be a spiritual child. Understand this. It does, your, your spiritual maturity does not depend on how long you have been saved. It has everything to do with your own spiritual growth and maturity and development in understanding and living out this Christian life. Now, why is it that there are Christians who have not grown? It is because of a lack of nourishment from the Word of the living God. And this brings us to the continuation of what Paul was saying about the church in our last text. We recall in our last passage, last week that we preached and studied how Christ ascended on high in redemptive victory, having come to this world, gaining the victory through His death, burial, and resurrection. And so He ascended on high so that He could gift His church, His people, with power and enablement to live and be who they're supposed to be. He gives His people individually and corporately. And as we see in verse 11, we focused on that last week, but it has to come with the text we're looking at today. These specific offices or ministries to the church in verse 11 were given for a purpose. And what is the purpose of these gifts to the church? As we look at our text today, it is the maturity and development of the church. 
which boils down to the maturity and development of you as an individual Christian. So I want us to notice some things here this morning about growing up in Christ. Growing up in Christ and Christian maturity. Notice number one this morning. I want you to see the process of the church growing up. What's the process by which the church grows up spiritually in Christ? Well, there's, there's two things I want to point out here that the text clearly reveals to us. And the first means by which this happens is through gifted ministers serving in the church. This is the reason that we have verse 11 before verse 12. Now, in verse 12, we see there's a need for the saints to be equipped. Now, how is it that the saints are to be equipped? Well, it's built on verse 11. What did Christ give to the church? He gave the church apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, or the shepherds and teachers. So the whole premise of the church growing in maturity is built upon the ministers that Christ gave to the church. This is why the local church is so important. Now, there's many, church, many Christians today that think, well, the local church isn't that important. As long as I'm a Christian, I can just do whatever I want. You understand that the biblical mandate is for every Christian to belong to a local church, to worship in the local church to serve in the local church, to abide with and fellowship in the local church. And so when you look at the offices given here, these ministries, when you consider them, what is their primary ministry function? It is the ministry of God's truth. It is the administering of the Word of God to the people of God. Now, I'll briefly recap here what these offices we looked at them in depth last week, but so I encourage you to look at that or listen to that sermon if you're not familiar. But we see the apostle. The apostle, firstly, was a temporary office that served a purpose for the early church. They were given direct authority from Christ for the church and ministered inspired truth to the people. Secondly, we have the prophets. The prophets had a similar uh, calling, but not the same. They were secondary to the apostles, but they were also called and inspired to communicate revelation from God to the people of God. So both the apostles and the prophets, they were important key offices, but they are no longer abiding offices today. And this is true for one simple reason. We have the completed word revelation of God in our Bibles. We have no clue how privileged we are to have this in our hands. We, we live in a generation where we are uh, inundated with Bibles. I have more Bibles than I need. I have a Bible fetish. If I see one that I like, I want it, right? I mean, they got all sorts of kinds of Bibles. But literally, there's, there's Christians even now in other countries that don't even have a Bible. Translated in their own language. So we are so privileged, we ought not to take for granted this truth. But since we have the completed Word of God that the ministry of apostles and prophets is no longer needed for the church. But that brings us to the next two offices. We see there's evangelists and there's also shepherds and teachers. Now, these two callings are presently active in the church and serve as a means of continuing to build up the local church. Now, this does not mean the apostles and prophets have no use, for what we read and study is built upon them, right? So we must understand the balance there. So he gave evangelists as proclaimers of the gospels. They are not of the gospel. They're not pastors. 
But they are out of the church. They preach the gospel message boldly, seeking the conversion of sinners. And with the conversion of sinners, being made into saints, coming into the family, kingdom, and church of God, what is it that every saint needs? They need a local church. They need the local church. Which brings us to the next office, shepherds and teachers. This is the role of the pastor. And so you'll read in Scripture where uh, it's given a couple different titles of pastor, elder, overseer. They are the same office, and they, the chief means of the pastor shepherding the flock is through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. What was Paul's charge to the young pastor Timothy who served in Ephesus? Paul calls on him in his last letter, Timothy 4, in verse number 2, he tells him, preach the Word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Friend, understand that the ministry of the word of God is paramount to the spiritual growth of God's people. It is the spiritual food that you must have, just, in the phys- just as in the physical sense. If you don't eat food, what's going to happen to you? You will be malnourished. You will not grow. You will be unhealthy. And the same applies in a spiritual sense. So it is the spiritual food required to grow and to be equipped for the Christian life. It is Christ's voice to His people. Sinclair Ferguson comments and says, When the Word of God is preached faithfully, the voice of Christ is heard through the ministry of the Spirit. And what did Jesus say, my sheep? Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. But you'll notice as we come into our text, this was all background. We'll get into this now. We come to verse 12 when Paul says that the use of these ministry offices is to equip the saints. Equip equip the saints. What does it mean to equip something or someone? Well, the word used here was often a medical term used for that of setting a bone. More generally, it refers to preparation. The King James would translate it as perfecting, which implies bringing about a completeness to it. So let's think of it in terms of a broken bone for a moment. When a person breaks a bone, able to function fully and properly as they ought to. No. They need that bone to be set and fixed so that they are equipped and prepared for living on in life. In 2020, Jubilee had a uh, trampoline accident and broke her bone. She broke her leg. And I could tell how much it hurt her. They had to set that bone, and she had to wear that long cast down her leg. And, and uh, it was just so painful, not only physically, but emotionally for her, because one of her favorite activities is to run. Run. And uh, you'll, you'll see her running all over this place. You'll often see me and her, me and uh, me and uh, Bethany trying to get on to David and Jubilee because they're running through the church, right? Running's what kids do. They love to do that. But it had to be set and healed for it to function properly. She needed that in order to be properly equipped to function as it was supposed to. And in a similar fashion, understand this, Christian, through the ministry of the Word of God, the saints' lives are cultivated to spiritual health and strength to function and live the Christian life as they ought to live it. Because here's the reality. All of us as Christians, we all were broken in sin before we met Christ, weren't we? 
But in Christ, we've been made new. We've been called to an entirely different life. And understand this, that a Christian is not instantly matured or equipped in this fashion the moment they are born again. The moment you're born again, guess what you become? You are a baby in Christ. Spiritually, you are a baby. And what needs to happen? Growth. Growth. Babies grow into children and on to adulthood. And so we think of this, this idea of equipping. There are several means used in equipping the saints, such as uh, prayer, worship, even suffering, are, are means by which equip us. But foundational to all equipping of the saints is the ministry of the Word of God. And this, Christian, is the reason. that This is why the chief responsibility of the pastor is to make sure the church is fed full on the Scriptures. The Scriptures. If you lack this, you will be malnourished. If I get up here and think that it's my job to make you laugh and entertain you, hope you had a good time at church, I have done you a bad deed. And I'm accountable to God for that. John MacArthur rightly said this, the first purpose of the pastor-teacher, therefore, is to feed himself, to feed his people, and to lead them to feed themselves on the Word of God. All three of those aspects are essential. I can't feed you if I'm not fed. I have to be in the Word of God. I come here to feed you the Word of God. But there's that third aspect, too, that MacArthur brings out I think is key. You can't depend on just Sunday morning's message to get you through the week. You need to be feeding yourself the Scriptures day after day. How many times do you eat in a week? Anybody? Anybody just eat once? No, I can barely get through till lunch every day, right? Sometimes I'll try to fast the first half of the day, but man, I get to a point, I've got to eat. Otherwise, what happens to me? I get weak. I get weak. And the same thing is true spiritually. You understand, we, don't, we fail to realize how important the Word of God is to our day-to-day life, week after week. It, we need it to strengthen us and to grow us. Peter said to his audience in 1 Peter 2, 2, he says to them, like newborn infants, long for this pure spiritual milk that you may be able to grow up into salvation. So, so he's calling on them as spiritual babies, you need this milk of the word of God so that you'll grow in your spiritual life. Jesus prayed this for his disciples. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. See, the word of God, by the spirit of God, is what equips and grows the people of God. This is why this is so important. But notice with me, secondly, letter B, what what contributes in the process of this growth. The ministry of the word, understand, it is the thread through this whole text. It is the thread to the whole text. But notice also, letter B, growing saints serving in the church are also part of the process of spiritual maturity and church maturity. Now, now notice that Paul says that this equipping is for a purpose. The ministry of the word, equipping the saints, and what is the purpose of this equipping? It is for the work of the ministry. For the work of the ministry. Now, hold on a second. 
at the work of the ministry for the pastors and the teachers. Yeah, of course it is. But is that only for the pastors and teachers? You see, there are many who attend church regularly, or even members of a church who think this way, that the ministry work is just the pastor's job, or the evangelist's job, or the deacon's job. But here's the biblical truth that we touched on last week. It is that the work of the ministry is the work of the whole church. The ministry is a whole church operation, a whole church function. And this truth ties into the individual nature of Christ gifting His people that He mentioned in verse 7, unto every one of us has been given this gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. So this means every person called the work of the ministry, every Christian. And through the ministry of the word, the shepherds and teachers equipped them for that ministry. Now, this doesn't mean that leaders in the church don't get involved with other forms of ministry. They certainly do. But understand this, that there is no pastor or group of pastors who can do everything that is needed in the local church. It doesn't matter how gifted a man may be, if he is burdened with doing all the other things, he will be hindered from doing the main thing in studying and praying to feed the church. And if the church is malnourished from a lack of that, you have this domino effect that hinders the spiritual maturity of the church. So the entire church is to be actively working together in the work of God. As Paul told the Corinthian Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not of vain. He's talking to that church to be always abounding in the work of God. Now, what happens when the church is equipped by the ministry of the Word and they are involved in the work of the ministry? Notice we see this next statement Paul brings out. These combine for the building up of the body of Christ. Building up of the body of Christ. Now, what's Paul mean by this, building up the body? This is not a reference to physical growth or numerical increase, although that may be a byproduct of it. There are many today who are fixated on numbers. But numbers are not the true characteristic of what is healthy and what is unhealthy. It's not. I mean, if I was only concerned about numbers and that was the, the, the point of this, is that that's what determines a healthy church, man, I'd put on all kinds of shows and I'd, I'd become a comedian. I'd do something to get more people in here, right? But that's not what the mark of a healthy church is. When Paul says building up the body, he's referring to spiritual strength. Spiritual strength, which is, which is also called edification, edifying the churches, building the church up in spiritual strength. And so the ministry of the word equips the saints with spiritual strength, building them up in their work of the ministry. Now, Paul said this to the Ephesians when he was about to leave them in person. He said in Acts 20 and verse 32, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And friend, when the saints are serving, they are also building up the church around them. How so? Because our service is not only 
unto the Lord, it is also on behalf of our brothers and sisters in the body we belong. Now, I want you to see a text here in Hebrews 10 for a moment. Hebrews 10. And I think this is an important one. Verse 24 through verse 25. And notice what Hebrews author writes to these Christians. He says to them, and let us consider how to stir up who? One another. One another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging who? One another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What do you find with the local church? Firstly, it's about the glory of God. Secondly, it's about the good of His people. We gather to glorify God, but also to edify and spiritually strengthen one another. Spiritually strengthen one another. You see, the word of God affecting one saint causes them to affect another saint. And this is so key for us. This is why we worship together. We grow together. We serve together. We work together. We're loving together. The church is a unified front of God's like-minded people together. This is God's will for the church both broadly in all the redeemed, but also especially locally in every local visible church. Now the truth before us in this text is very plain. Through the word of God, the people of God are equipped by the power of God for the work of God according to the will of God. This is foundational. It is the foundational means of growing up in Christ, this ministry of the word, which leads to what spiritual growth accomplishes. Notice with me number two this morning. We've seen the process of growing up in Christ. The process through the ministry of the word and through growing and serving together. But notice also the purpose of the church growing up. What does is, what is it affect? If it, what, is, what is the goal, I guess, I could say? What's the goal of this growing up? Well, I've broken this down into three aspects. And I told you this is somewhat technical. So I'm going to try to come through this in a timely fashion. But I've given you notes, hopefully, that will help you understand. Notice letter A this morning that spiritual growth leads to spiritual maturity. Growing leads to maturity. Just as you have a baby, you feed him, you feed him, and you feed him, and he grows into his toddler stage, then terrible twos, and you sometimes wish they were still at that real cute stage, you know, right where Spurgeon's at right now. Love that stage. But I know that in a year and a half, it's going to be chaos in the house, right? He's already getting into stuff. Okay, crawling. But when he walks, I might have to leave for a little bit and have somebody else come. I might have to pay some babysitters. But, but, but we grow up, right? We grow out of the toddler stage, on into the uh, young child stage, and then a teenager, and then on into adulthood. So maturity is the goal, growing up. But notice that Paul says in verse 13 that the work of this ministry to the edifying of the body of Christ, it's ongoing until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Let's pause there for a moment. That word until has good significance. It is the time frame for the ministries that Paul has mentioned in verse 11. Now, the ministries of the word being preached and taught are for the end goal of bringing about this unity in the faith, knowledge of the Son, mature manhood, reflecting Christ. But when Paul says until, he does not mean that all of those offices mentioned are permanent, but that all the ministries of those offices have abiding significance. 
For example, the apostles and prophets, those are not permanent offices, but they still have abiding significance. We look at the other offices as well, the same thing. But notice that this truth stays the same. This until also gives us insight into the perpetual need of pastors, teachers, and evangelists. As long as there are Christians in this world, there's going to be a need for them to spiritually grow. There is. So the ministry of the Word is essential and will continue for the purpose of saving sinners and sanctifying the saints. Now, what does the spiritual growth in the church look like? What does it work towards? Notice that Paul says it works towards this, that we all attain to the unity of the faith. Now, by all, he's not mentioning every human that ever lives. He's talking about all Christians, the body of Christ. Now, Paul mentions the faith earlier. It's one of those foundational things that unifies all believers, right? What is the faith? It is essentially the content of the gospel in its complete form. Now, when we consider the faith and we think of doctrines, there's going to be varying differences on secondary doctrines among professing believers. But here's something, here's something I want to point out that's very key for us in this mature, understanding of maturity. Mature believers recognize where our unity is. And do not divide or break fellowship with other brethren over secondary issues. And, I, and I, it's very telling when one gets, gets hot and heated and wants to break up and, and break fellowship with you over something that is secondary. It shows you their maturity status. They're not really grown up where they need to be. For example, the church in Corinth had division based on their own ignorance of truth and spiritual immaturity. 1 Corinthians 3, 4. Remember their division? Paul writes to them, For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? One was saying, Oh, I'm just following Paul. I'm with Apollos, or I'm with this, or I'm with that. And Paul points out, Who are we? We're all of Christ. But their immaturity and ignorance was causing them to divide over a lack of understanding this truth. Paul essentially calls them spiritual babies, that they were immaturing. Though when believers are properly taught and growing as they ought to be, there is unity in the faith. John MacArthur again comments on this. Oneness fellowship is impossible unless it is built on the foundation of a common belief truth. You see, our unity in the faith must rest in understanding the gospel rightly and interpreting the scriptures accurately. Now, every local church should have unity in the faith and what they believe, but there's going to be differences even among us. You and I aren't going to agree on every little detail of our convictions. But there's one thing that we all will agree on, that, has, that, that there is a break in fellowship we disagree, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ. Now, regardless, what we find here is that maturity cultivates unity in the truth. And one day in eternity, understand, there will be an absolute perfect unity on all things, regardless of the earthly differences that we had. Someday in heaven, we'll all be Baptists. Can't believe that? I'm teasing, by the way. That's a joke. But I am Baptist for a reason. I believe... I believe that um, the Baptist faith is, is, is best aligns with the Scripture. But I would not claim to uh, be inerrant on every little thing. 
because we're human in our interpretation. So understand where I'm coming from with that. Maturity brings about unity, even though there is secondary differences. We must be unified in Christ. And also notice that this connects also the next mark of maturity that Paul says in the church. He says, we all attain unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. And I love this too. This was Paul's prayer for them in the beginning. He prayed for them that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him. Ephesians 1.17. Now, understand, when he's talking about knowledge of the Son of God, he's not talking about the basic knowledge of salvation, but of a deepening knowledge of Jesus. Friend, when you come to know Jesus through conversion, that is only the beginning of you knowing Jesus. The Christian will forever be growing in the knowledge of the blessed Lord, for he is a well too deep to fathom. And the mature Christian is growing in his knowledge of Christ, deepening in his... How is it that any Christian may attain the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God? How is it that that comes about? It is only through the Word of God. The Word of God. That's what cultivates us. That's how we grow. This is Paul's point. That the Word of God develops the Christians in this unity. Notice next that Paul says in conjunction with this that the Christian also develops through the ministry of the Word to mature manhood. Mature manhood. Now, this is probably the plainest statement about Christian maturity. Some translations may render that word as a perfect man, but the Greek, the Greek word there is the same. It means pertaining to being mature. It could also be translated as full-grown or adult. So this is the goal of the Christian life. It is to be fully grown and mature in our spiritual life. That is God's will for you. And friend, this is Paul's chief desire for them. Is that the Ephesians and every church that he ever dealt with would grow up in Christ into maturity. This is my desire for all of you. This is the pastor's chief desire. Is that God's people know him, are growing in him, that they love him, that they want more of him. My chief desire is not bigger buildings or more numbers. My chief desire is your spiritual development. That's the reason that the pastor labors in the Word of God. That's the reason that I give time and energy to to studying and dissecting the text and and even giving you notes so that you have the Word of the living God that you understand and see what God has given to His people. The chief desire of those who lead in the church is for the good of God's people spiritually. This is why Paul, when he was there in Ephesus for two years, he tirelessly labored to preach the word of God to them. Paul put it this way in Colossians 1, verse 28 through 29. This is a parallel passage to this, but look at it with me. Colossians 1, verse 28 through 29. Notice what he says. He says, Him, being Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, what? Mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, I toil, I toil, I labor for the cause of bringing God's people into maturity in him. 
And friend, I want you to understand that the church today is desperately in need of mature Christians. The church doesn't need more programs and organizational structuring to make it better. Now, there's place for some of those things. I'm not, not saying those are non-existent. The church should be organized in how it operates. But here's the reality. The overemphasis of the church today is on doing more and doing more and doing more for Christ rather than being more in Christ. And the imbalance of promoting programs and busyness over the Scriptures has resulted in a great number of immature Christians who think they're mature just because they're busy. Friend, busyness does not make you a mature Christian. It may aid because obedience does cultivate maturity, but being overly busy does not make you a mature Christian. It does not come about by more activity, but by more saturation and application of the Word of God. And it's a sad thing that it seems many today are becoming tired of hearing the Scriptures. To sit and listen to preaching for an hour is almost a sin. We can sit and watch a football game for three hours with no problem. May I say that there is nothing more important than the preaching of the Word of God to the people of God and you reading the Word of God because only the Scriptures cultivate and mature you into who you need to be in Christ. This is why it's so vital. Sinclair Ferguson comments on on this issue of preaching, the ministry of the Word. He says its goal is not merely educational but transformational. It informs the mind in order to touch the conscience, mold the will, cleanse the affections, and sanctify the whole life. Which brings us to what Paul shows us as the ultimate goal of maturity. What is the chief end goal of maturity in the Word? Look at this. It says it is to come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What's our goal that we're looking at? Jesus. Jesus is the standard of maturity to which the church must aspire. He's the perfect example. And Paul wants the believer, understand, he wants the believer to be as much like Christ as possible in this earthly world. Why? Because that is the ultimate end, being more like him. That is what we will be in our eternal state. It's already predestined we're going to be that way in eternity, right? Paul said in Romans 8, 29, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. How many of us look forward to that day? I, I long for the day of my glorification. No more war with the flesh. No more temptations of the world. No more all this stuff. There will be a day when that will come. But understand that until that day, we are to grow and grow and grow more into the image of Christ as we possibly can. Without the ministry of the Word, There is no maturity in the Christian. The word in preaching, the word in your own daily devotions and reading, you must have the Scripture. Now, I will note here that some propose that what Paul has said here is only a reference to perfect unity, perfect knowledge, and perfect maturity, which is realized in glorification. And it is true that beyond this world, all of God's people will be in perfect unity, have perfect knowledge of the Son, be perfect even as Christ is perfect. But the idea that Paul is only referencing glorification, I do not believe fits the context. Why? Because the whole purpose of these gifted men in the church is for their growth in this world. So we could say there is a heavenly expectation with an earthly application here. 
Which brings us to what verse 14 tells us. Verse 14, we see the definite earthly intention in the people of God as a result of coming to maturity that we read in verse 13. Notice letter B. We see spiritual growth not only leads to spiritual maturity, but spiritual growth leads to doctrinal stability. Stability. Now, if a Christian is mature, having been well-established in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, what should we expect to see in them when false teaching presents itself? Well, notice what verse 14 says. Paul says, so that, so that is important, so that's the connector. We've come to maturity, so that this, so that we may no longer be what? Children. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Now, you'll notice the contrast here is between mature manhood and being children. We don't want to be children. We want to come to mature manhood. Because that's the reality that we need. We can be spiritual children or spiritual adults. We're one or the other. 1 Corinthians 3, 1, Paul, this is what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, but I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. They were infants in their knowledge and behavior, which was why they had so much division. They were unstable. And Paul says that the spiritual child is tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So he uses waves and wind as an analogy of being easily carried away. One who's carried away. By the waves is not anchored. And I want you to understand, that is so easily seen today in Christianity. You know why? Because there are many Christians that follow any new theological fad or trend that comes up. They're not grounded in truth. You see, as a spiritual child, Christians are susceptible to doctrinal error, especially when it comes about, notice what Paul says, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, children are so precious, but they're not real wise. And this is why parents are constantly instructing children against appealing or dangerous things. My mom taught me at a young age, if any stranger comes to you and tries to offer you candy and take you with them, you run the other way. Now, without that kind of instruction, candy and a nice person... Kind of appealing, isn't it? Many children are kidnapped that very way through deceitful means. And I've taken that initiative to teach the same thing to my children. Don't ever go with strangers, even if they have something that you like. You see, without the instruction, a child is prone to being deceived. The same is true for immature Christians. And understand, there is an abundance of false teachers in our day who use human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. And with the internet now and us having access to whatever we want to listen to, we have to be doubly careful. The word schemes here, Paul will use the same word in chapter 6, 11, referring to the devil's schemes. You understand that Satan is a master in spiritual matters. You say, really? Listen to what Paul told the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 11, 14, 15. He says, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, their end will correspond to their deeds. You understand that? 
there are many preachers today in the name of Christ and gathering as a church in the name of Christ that are false teachers. Men like Stephen Furtick and Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland, and they draw mass crowds of people, but they don't have the true gospel. They're leading people to hell, and people are flocking after them. They have no discernment of what truth is. Now, most of them are lost, unregenerate people, but understand that even those who are spiritually mature, they can easily be led astray by these very same things. There's a reason that throughout the Scriptures, there is a constant warning in the early church about false teachings. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 13, 9, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings. Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 2, 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and vain, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Many Christians today are swept away by eloquent teachers who open their Bible but misinterpret it or use it for their own gain. And friend, if a Christian's not growing in truth, he is susceptible to this error. And this is why you, Christian, must mature. You must know truth. You must know truth. And you're not only to know truth, you're to come to a point where you can teach others the truth. That's what Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 tells us. Go there in a minute later and read that. I won't do it for time's sake. But spiritual maturity leads to doctrinal stability. Notice with me, letter C, that spiritual maturity also leads to practical integrity. Practical integrity. Verse 15, notice in contrast to being doctrinally unstable, he says instead, or rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in him in every way into him. Now, how can you speak the truth in love if you're not grounded in the truth in the first place? You can't. You can't. The Christian is called to know the truth. And one of the prevailing problems of our generation of this day is the error that is permeating the church. The church is to be the upholder of the truth. Paul called the church a pillar and buttress of the truth. The Christian is to be a beacon of truth. And Paul says here he is to be speaking the truth. And the Greek term here for speaking is, is, is more actually than just speaking. It has the idea of dealing and acting truthful, truthfully. It conveys the idea of walking in a truthful way, living out truth. So, so the life of the Christian is to know the truth, live the truth, promote the truth. We are not to be idly silent in the dark while error prevail, prevails. We're to be the light of the world. What does the light do? It pushes back darkness with truth. We herald the truth of their lives. But it's not just living and abiding in the truth. There's a lot of good Christians that know the truth and abide the truth. That's good. But Paul gives a very important connection here that must be seen. We are to speak the truth how? In love. In love. What's the core characteristic of Christianity? It is the love of God. Friend, the love of God is what has changed us, has brought us to love each other, and even brings us to love our enemies, Jesus said. And so the mark of maturity is to love with the truth. John wrote this in 1 John 3, 18. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So truth and love mixed together. Now, you may have the truth, but if you don't have love, the truth you know doesn't make a whole lot of difference. There's a lot of people that speak the truth, but the way they speak it is hateful, condescending. You don't reach anybody that way. Pastor, a friend of mine said this, and it's always stuck with me. I saved this quote. David Pittman, 
truth without love leads no one. Love without truth leads nowhere. Think about that. Truth without love leads no one. Love without truth leads nowhere. It's important what we say, but it's also important how we say it. So so love, understand, we we love with the truth, and and love involves telling the truth no matter the cost. It even makes you an enemy of others, but love will promote you to give the truth even though that may be the result. It happened to Paul with the Galatians. He said, if I become your enemy by telling you the truth, truth might make you an enemy of people who don't like the truth. But love is what prompts us to tell the truth anyway. So truth and love must be joined together. The lack of one or the other is to lack practical integrity in our Christian life. Truth and love influence this maturity so that we grow up in him in every way. Sinclair Ferguson again comments and says, Truth and love together express the balance of a mature Christian and lead to growth in a church fellowship. We look at these marks and we've got to ask ourselves, do we have these marks? Of maturity, are we growing up in Christ? Notice with me, number, number three, and lastly, I want you to see the power of the church growing up. What's the power that causes the church to grow up? I think we all, we all know the answer to this. It is firstly Christ as the head who empowers the church. Christ as the head who empowers the church. You see, the power of the church rests in Christ, who is the one who established the church. Notice that Paul mentions in their maturity that their maturity is about growing up into him who is the head into Christ. And that connects to verse 16. What does verse 16 say? From whom, from whom, the head, Christ, from whom, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now, we'll notice this whole body flows from and is connected to Christ as the head. Now, Paul's using the human metaphor again, the human body, for the function of the church, the life of the church. Now, just as a physical body has no life without the head, so also the spiritual body of Christians have no life, no growth, no function without Christ. If I'm disconnected from my head, what happens to the rest of my body? It don't keep functioning. It's done. It's lifeless. It doesn't operate. And so you'll notice that we are joined and held together by His power alone. We are equipped by His power alone as we've, as we've seen. And so through His power, the church grows in maturity. It's by Him. Colossians 2.19, another parallel passage. Paul says, and not holding, uh, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from who? From God. So all of this shows us the divine sovereignty of the Lord in building and maturing His church, His body. It is ultimately His divine work in us. What did the psalmist say in the realm of this topic? Similar. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So we must understand his divine power and sovereignty and maturity. But since this growth maturity is of the Lord's power, does that mean there's zero requirement of us as members of his body? Nope, not, a, not at all. Letter B, secondly, Christians as the body edify the church. 
Now notice that Paul connects this all together in verse 16. Connects it all together. He says in the latter part, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So you understand that the growth of the church is of Christ, but also through Christians. Each part working properly. That's us as members. Each part working properly. And notice that the body builds itself up, edifies itself. What does this point us to? There's a human responsibility of the Christian to cultivate spiritual growth in the church. Every member or joint plays a role in the growth of the body of Christ. That brings us back to verse 7, the individual nature. So here's what you understand, is that Christians influence, have influence on their own spiritual growth and that of other Christians around them. When you sit down to read your Bible and you come to listen to the Word of God, you're acting in obedience to Him, which in turn affects your Christian growth. This applies broadly to the whole of God's people, but most practically to the local church to which we belong. We all influence each other in our Christian life because we are members one of another. So drawing from Christ, who is the source of power, the body of believers affects growth. We understand that there's this dual connection of God's sovereignty working through men. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in both to will and do of his good pleasure. So here with all of this, there's a question that we need to consider. Am I personally growing? and Am I having a positive spiritual effect in helping others grow in Christ? Am I doing that? Often today, churches are filled with immature believers affecting others because they refuse to grow up. They only want to do the bare minimum when it comes to their Christian life. Friend, if a church is filled with only young, immature believers, the church growth will be hindered. You must be seeking to grow in Him. So the growth here, this growth in spiritual maturity is primarily fulfilled through the ministry of the Word of God as the context shows us. And we are called to grow up in Christ. So consider yourself today. Are you a growing Christian or have you become stagnant? Because it can't happen. How's your diet been? I'm not talking about if you're going to Freddy's or not. How's your diet been? Spiritually. Are you hearing the word of God being preached and taught? Are you taking in the word of God yourself in your day-to-day life? I challenge us as believers to see the importance of our own spiritual growth for the good of this church, but ultimately glory of God. May we grow as Christ has called us to grow.